Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855kHz on your AM dial. Uh, I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. Uh, hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the 12-step programs that assist recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experiences saves lives. Today, my guests will be sharing their journey of recovery from compulsive overeating. I'd like to welcome Louise to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me here. Pleasure. Uh, as a member of Overeaters Anonymous, uh, she's going to share her experience with food obsession and how OA has helped. Now, I understand Overeaters Anonymous started in California in about January 1960 and arrived in Melbourne in the mid-70s. So can you tell us a little bit about the fellowship? Yeah, well, uh, in Melbourne, uh, some of us celebrated the 60th birthday of OA this year. So wow. we had a bit of a party and a get-together. It was a great time. It's been going pretty strong since then. Okay, that's good. <laughs> okay, so the usual format we have for the show is we, we talk about growing up and the things that sort of influenced you in your life. Um, and it, it's more about, you know... How, how food has impacted you uh, over the time and the things that um, you think are significant and would be pertinent for people to hear you know, about your story and about the things that impact somebody who has, um, I guess, an over uh, or a highlighted sense to food as you did. So would you like <laughs> yeah. to tell us a bit about your family and growing up? Yeah, sure. Um, so one of my... Well, I just came from a pretty average suburban middle-class family. Mum, dad, sibling. Yep. Uh, one of my earliest memories relating to food, um, it, we used to eat dinner at the table and it would be, you know, you had to eat your dinner before you got dessert and we were having some beautiful meal and I was chomping away on the meat and it wasn't, I didn't really want to eat it, but I couldn't have the bowl of ice cream until I ate all my meat. So I figured out that I could kind of tuck it away in my cheeks and show my mum my empty mouth and I got my bowl of ice cream and I might be one of the few that knows what beef-flavoured ice cream tastes like. (laughs) And, um, you know, I would have been three or four, four or five maybe then. I I wanted the ice cream. That was the the main thing, right? So I did what I had to do and that... When I look back on it, that's the beginning of doing what it, I had to do to get the food, really. That, that you wanted. Yes, yes, the food that I wanted. Yeah. I mean, my body was saying to me, eat, 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 eat. And that's what – that was the beginning. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so did it have an effect on your body? Did you eat too much early or were you restricted by, you know, availability? <laughs> I was definitely restricted by availability. So I grew up, we didn't um, have a lot of like what I would call junk food in the house. It wasn't in our house much. And, you know, if I ever went to friends' house and they their pantries were full of soft drink and yeah. chips and different things, that was, wow. You know, a kid's birthday party was, 
the best. <laughs> yeah, that was always special occasion food. It wasn't around yeah. all the time, so definitely restricted. But when it was around, I would go for it. I'd, I I remember often my mum would say, you've had enough. Yeah. That that didn't make any sense to me. For anyone who may be a compulsive overeater or has a problem with food, um, you know, my mum loved me. She was doing the best thing for me and she would give me that feedback you've had enough but the feedback I was getting inside myself my own body yeah there what do you mean I've had enough (laughs) there is no enough yeah there's more there yeah it's in front of me it's yep yep I'm sure a lot of people can identify with that yeah (laughs) well it's delicious right yeah yeah, that's right (laughs) um so growing up then going to school did you have any issues with food interfering with your life? Uh, So in primary school, I was always probably the chubby kid. I was a bit, um, yeah, I was the chubby kid. So I was aware of that and um, there was a couple of classmates who let me know I was chubby, you know. Nothing to the extreme, not what we, um, not what is really faced today with bullying and stuff. I didn't really encounter that. Um, But, you know, if I could get to the canteen at break time if I was fortunate enough to have a day that's was my focus um, but you know I played with all the kids did the sports did the stuff but there yeah in the background was a bit of when can I get to the canteen right when's okay. it lunchtime yeah. yeah yeah so did you have a consistent schooling yeah, so when I was 10 I moved so I went to the local primary school and then when I was 10 I went to a private school, so a girls' school, and I went from grade five, so I was 10, 11, all the way through to year 12 there. Right. So I was consistent in that sense. Yeah, okay. But obviously a change is a change in the life of a child, and that was one for me. Yeah. So did any of your friends go with you in that move? There was one girl from my school that went as well, yeah, okay. Uh, you know, I had to make new friends at the time and that that was okay. That person was there, so that was a good support. So did you did you feel like you fitted in? I think I thought I was as normal as I could be relative to everyone else. I had no concept at the time that I was any different necessarily to yeah. others. It was probably... I don't know, that's just the way that life was for me. So I didn't have, I can tell you my experience, um, the first year at this new school, my classroom was right next door to where they would bring the food for morning tea because the junior school was not near where the canteen was. Right. So they used to bring um, hot cinnamon donuts down every morning (laughs) tea, right? And, you know, I so every morning tea... We could smell hot cinnamon donuts. Now, I know far more of my attention was on the donuts than it was in the classroom. Like, that's my, yeah, that's what was happening for me. I can't speak for anyone else in the room, but yeah, I know that now. I had a high focus on on, uh, the sweet fragrance of cinnamon. Right, okay. At 10 years old. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, how about at home? Were you sort of progressively eating more what what was your food behavior at home 
Yeah, so I would um, get home from school. This was happening even before I changed schools. Um, Saturday morning with uh, my brother, we'd be watching Saturday morning cartoons. We'd have the big tin of Milo on the bench and we were allowed a a glass of Milo. That was no problem. Our parents would be having a sleep in. I mastered the art of tiptoeing back to the bench, getting the lid off the tin of Milo in silence and scooping out as much as I can and tiptoeing back to the cartoons multiple times. So there was stealth mode. I learned that early on because I knew it wasn't – I was not meant to be going back for more and more and more. That wasn't acceptable, but that's what you needed to do. Yeah, Yeah. 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 I would not have been overly punished. It just was – it didn't make sense to anyone else in my household. That's not what you did. So, yeah, I Mm. found a way to work around that. And coming home afternoon tea after school, you know, we'd have dry – like – Sayos, the old Sayo biscuits. (laughs) (laughs) I would have the Sayo biscuit, I'd have the butter or margarine would be about as thick as the biscuit and then the peanut butter would be as thick as that again. And, you know, it just becomes, for me, it became more and more and more. Again, my mum's like, you don't need that much. You don't need that much margarine. What are you talking about? You don't need that much margarine. Mm. Because it made perfect sense to me. I couldn't comprehend not that much. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what about special events at home and, and treats and things like that, birthday parties and dinner parties and stuff? What What was your behaviour? Yeah, so I did, um, I guess for all intents and purposes, I looked as normal as all the other kids, but then when they were off playing pin the tail on the donkey, I'd be at the treat table wanting to eat more chips or party pies or sausage roll. you know, what it, the party food. I was Whatever. focused. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I was focused on that and they were focused on playing and having the games. And also, you know, we used to have uh, the special food for guests in the house. So if mum and dad had people over for dinner and stuff and we'd have the dinner parties. And when they'd be saying goodnight to the people, I'd say, good night, Mr and Mrs such and such, off they'd go. I'd quickly run back to the table and scoff as many after dinner mints as I could um, before <laughs> my parents came back and cleared the table. Uh, so there was, yeah, it, the focus was well and truly on food for pretty much as long as I can remember. And Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the other thing I think probably happened in your childhood was fast food. So was that an attraction for you? Yeah, it was definitely an attraction. I remember there's a photo of me. I would have been about two or three maybe. It was my brother's birthday. We went to McDonald's and I got a thick shake and it was about as big as my head in the photo, (laughs) right? And I can still – I remember that day. I remember how delighted I was that I was sucking this thick, creamy uh, sweetness and, yeah, I loved it. That was my go-to. And I would beg on a Friday night or the weekend – or essentially any night of the week, what's for dinner? Oh, can we get takeaway? And no, we would be having some sensible meal. <laughs> chops. Uh, <laughs> yeah, chops and veg. And, um, ugh, really? And, I mean, I had no choice, obviously, but if I could have turned it so that we were having takeaway every night, I would have. That yep. was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the other thing, <clears throat> people with... Um, food, uh, attracted to food do is that they 
steal food or they store food. Did you take or store food? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can't say that I stored food. Uh, <clears throat> it didn't have time to be stored. <laughs> didn't have, had a shelf life. <laughs> I stored it in my body. Um, I did um, definitely take food. So I discovered the hiding the hiding places where bless my mum she put it for the guests and things and I would discover it and because I couldn't open the packet and have one or two of anything I had to take the whole packet and this is where the you know the mental justification and the lying really starts in the mind because what choice did I have I I couldn't open the packet and leave it so I'll have to take the whole packet therefore I eat the whole packet and you yeah, know, that was disaster, an e- was easy yeah. justification and I was happy. Yeah. So what about hiding, hiding the fact that you'd done it? Oh, yeah, I definitely had to try and hide it. There was the – I learnt um, how to put on the innocent face of when, when it was discovered, hang on, where are the biscuits for the guests? What biscuits? Like, completely innocent, um, completely – I don't I know can what see that. you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, a necessary learnt behaviour to uh, yeah, to hide what is n- clearly not what everyone else is doing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so this must have caused a bit of weight gain. Absolutely. Yeah. So when did it start <laughs> to bite? It really started to kick in. I mean, as I mentioned, I always was the chubby kid, but so I guess um, – in teenagehood, it just expanded a bit. I guess that's when I had pocket money so I could spend it on food. Yep. But then once I um, was employed, wow, <laughs> earning an income and also having um, the freedom to get to the shops and stuff, well, it just skyrocketed and blew out of all proportion. There's no holding me back then. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. And I definitely wore my disease on my body. I didn't. I didn't exercise to compensate. I didn't do any of those things. I I just wore the consequences. Yeah. So how did that impact your social life? It definitely had a big impact. So I was invited to the parties and the social gatherings as much as anyone else. But I would be panicked because I had nothing to wear, nothing fit. I didn't feel comfortable. Yep. I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin, yes, so it wouldn't yeah. really matter. No, what you put on. <laughs> no, it wasn't yeah. going to matter. And so there was a lot of many occasions of tears and upset and um, just not knowing how to do that stuff because I wasn't comfortable. Yeah. And eventually, you know, I'd get an outfit together with the help of my mum and off I'd go, but I just didn't feel like... Good. Yeah, yeah I didn't yeah. feel good. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um so did you ever steal money to buy food? Yes, I did. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I, I shouldn't laugh, but I can only laugh because in recovery I can look honestly at what I've done. Um, my dad had a big change jar, jar of change, and so I would on occasion in my desperate moments of having to get to the shops and having no money, I would take the change and, you know, no one's going to notice a few dollars missing out of a big jar of change, right? No. Because you don't no, count you don't it count every it. day. No, that's right. <laughs> you don't notice it going down. That's right. So for me, that's as far as the stealing 
money to get food went, but yeah, I did that definitely. Okay, yeah, and yeah. So, did it affect your relationships and your ability to have close relationships? Yeah, it definitely did because I had to hide what I was doing. So, on the outside, I could behave and function like a so-called normal human being and go through all the uh, emotions of normal conversations and all of that. But behind all of that was the secret hidden shame and just the secrecy around something that I was doing that no one could know about. So that's any secret's always going to kind of get in the way of a... Relationship. Yeah, Yeah, close relationship. (laughs) Yeah. That's for sure, yeah. Um, So did you... Did you think that it was unusual that you were affected? That did you sort of see it as as an, an affliction, or did you just see it as life? Well, it was all I really knew, so I wasn't. I didn't know. Look, honestly, I was baffled. But while food was working for me, because it did work for me for a long time, you yep. know, it was my go-to thing, and it worked. Um, so while it was working, I didn't worry about it too much. I do remember the first time ever being having that mental obsession about food. Um, as a packet of Tim Tams. <laughs> Somehow it got into my head. At, I had no means to purchase a packet and I had no transport. So I was young. I, was, yep. I don't know how old, but I really remember thinking about this packet of Tim Tams and how desperately I wanted it and I could not get the thought out of my mind. That was the first time it was painful. I don't know if it was painful because I couldn't get the food or it was painful because it was an obsession. But, yeah, it was painful. And I knew that wasn't right, but I also didn't know how to talk about it. Okay, right. Uh, Well, listen, we might take a short break. Underneath the ground at the Olympic Dam Mine, there is an old sleepy lizard. BHP is mining right into that lizard named Kulta, and it's not so sleepy anymore. The old crocodile lizard may really know that the mining company's gotta go. The lizard returns protestable 2020. Uncle Kev is putting out the call. This is an invitation to all people and protectors of the land and waters to get involved in the creation of Autonomous Zone as we move for peace and justice. BYO, your own creative response to the nuclear industry and BHP's water theft. Keep an eye on the Lizard Revenge page on Facebook or check out our website for history and info and updates on the lizardbitesback.net. The Lizard Returns Protestable, the 3rd to the 6th of July, Arabana Country. See you there. A 3CR supporter. Herds and Curds with Carmen and Leanne, bringing you conversations with farmhouse cheesemakers and dairy producers. The first Sunday of the month at 7am on your favourite station, 3CR, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. 
You're listening to The Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Are you interested in listening to one of our many podcasts? Then head to your preferred podcast platform or 3cr.org.au forward slash livingfree. Uh, there you'll also find details about The Living Free Show and how to contact us. We're having a subscriber drive in February, so thanks to all our listeners for supporting The Living Free Show and 3CR by becoming 3CR subscribers. There's still some time left if you want to subscribe, so you can call uh, 94198377 or go online at 3cr.org.au. Today I'm talking with Louise, and we're talking about recovering from food addiction with the help of Overeaters Anonymous. So Louise, um, food was a, a focus of your life. What, yeah. what, what did it do for you? In the beginning, I think it just was a soothing way to function. I enjoyed it. It felt good. And then it didn't feel so good anymore. It was basically the one focus of life. And when it really reached its peak, I thought about food 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Could you share that enjoyment of food with others or not? Oh, no. There was no – no. <laughs> that, that was not possible. Uh, I did go out and eat food with others. So, that yeah. you know, I did all the normal go for dinner or have family dinners or celebration events and things. But there was not an enjoyment of food in that scenario because I was thinking about how could I get more of it without looking inappropriate in front of others – and that's not really possible. So how can I get out of here so I can go and get the food I want and eat it? Eat so it. No, how yeah. you want, yeah. Yeah, how I want, as much as I want. When no, you want. Yeah. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So did you sort of understand what was happening or were you, did you sort of feel trapped that this is you were stuck doing this stuff? I was just in it doing it. I had no idea about I it just was the way that I survived essentially it was not something I was very conscious of you weren't making decisions it was just happening yeah, <laughs> I yeah. was not making decisions well I was making decisions about what I was going to eat but yeah. I was not not capable of not doing that either yeah. it just survival it, mode it, yeah. yep it yeah. was just how I lived yep, yep. okay uh, so did things change when you went to work Yes, I had a lot. I had money, and so I could buy more food <laughs> <laughs> when you wanted. Where, where you wanted? <laughs> yeah, essentially that is what happened. Um, given that food was the focus, um, any income I had, I mean, there were essentials, but I scraped by on the essentials. But I always had enough money for food. Yeah. Basically, the money went on food. Yeah. That's where the money went. Yeah. Um, so did you leave home? Yes, I moved out of home and I was working and I was working a 13-day fortnight, so pretty much work, work, work and food, food, food. I worked hard and I ate hard, harder. <laughs> harder. <laughs> yeah. So it must have had an impact on your weight. Oh, absolutely. I um, went up to... Well, I just ballooned. I was in a size 26 before too long. I mean, the always kind of overweight person had become the obese 
mate. Yeah. Yeah, straight away. That didn't take too long. Okay. So this must have been a period when things, you weren't feeling great about it because your life was deteriorating in real terms. Yeah. Could you acknowledge that, that deterioration? I certainly can acknowledge it now. Yes. Um, no, I couldn't at the time. I knew that I wasn't happy. I knew that something was wrong, but I had no idea what that was. And right. I was just pretty grumpy with the world, really. It was everyone else's fault, probably, not mine. Yeah. Typical uh, denial. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's them. Yeah. <laughs> if they'd stop doing X, I'll... I'd, I'd change. Yes, if my circumstances weren't like this, if this wasn't happening, if they didn't do, yeah. Mm. So what about your mum? Was she concerned about what was happening? Uh, I'm, Yeah, I'm sure both my parents were concerned. My mum had been concerned all along because she yeah. could see that, you know, things, I wasn't travelling that well. And she actually didn't understand why... Certainly when I was still living at home, she couldn't understand why I was the overweight one because she really was making my school lunches and yeah. providing the dinners and the <laughs> breakfasts and things, which was all normal. So, yeah. you know. What was going on? It didn't make any sense, but she no. didn't know about all the sneaky eating the that was stuff. going yeah. on. Yeah. Okay. So did she try and stop you or change you? No, she um, – I would go to her and – sort of ask for help really I'd go to her and cry and um, tell her how I don't even know the answer to that question that's how baffling it is when you're in the midst of it or it was for me I I would go and say yeah I need help but uh you wouldn't really listen (laughs) probably (laughs) I I definitely did not listen I can say if anyone's hearing this and they have even the slightest inkling that they got a problem reach or what might help. You know, I could not get past my own prejudices and my own fears and my own closed mind. I was stubborn, stubborn. Stuck, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep. So do you want to take us through what a normal day was like for you when you were working um, with the focus, you know, the focus on food? Like what was it like from start to finish? Yeah, sure. So um, I would wake up thinking about food. I think at the height of it, I didn't have a, a breakfast at home. I would head straight to the bakery and I bought enough donuts. The donuts yeah. again. Cinnamon. <laughs> yeah, donuts and, you know, the flavoured milk. And, and I had the story running in my head that all these donuts are for me and my work buddies. Right? Because it's okay if you buy if, buy big, yeah, yeah, you buy a lot. It's for you and a lot of people. That was the story I had running in my head. I ate it all in the car on the way to work because it was always for me. And I'd get to work. I did my job. Uh, probably not that great because I wasn't feeling great after you eat, you know, half a dozen donuts for breakfast. <laughs> you're not feeling super. So, um, but you know, put on a brave face and off you go. And then. I'd be out with lunch, usually with a work colleague or something as well. So in front of others, you know, I, I did my best to eat, make a healthy choice. and Eat um, well. Yes, I ate well in mm. front of others to as best I could. And then all afternoon I would be at work again, but really I was thinking about what I would be eating as soon as I left work. What am I going to buy? 
how much money's in my purse, how much can I get with that amount of money, and off I would go after work straight to the shops, purchase mm-hmm. big, go home and eat. Yep. And then often it wasn't enough and I'd be sitting at home with the thought, oh, I need to get the chocolate, I need to get the something. And, you know, it could be 10 o'clock at night and I'd be out going through the drive through buying for me and my imaginary husband and children so I oh. could buy the two meals and the junior packs <laughs> and justify it to in case anyone ever asked me yep. um, who I was buying it all for. Although I was wearing all the evidence on my body. Yeah. I was eating it. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. anyone else. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it, that deception uh, of it? Yeah. Uh, um, so just talking about you know, McDonald's and stuff like that, so yeah. did you supersize things as well? Oh, absolutely supersized. Yeah. And yeah. I would mix up the drinks so that, you know, well, so I could have a variety, of course, you yeah. have a variety, but also so that they might not think it was all for me. Yeah. In my head. It's all, you know, in the head trying to think, how can this not appear to be what it actually is? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. One thing we skipped over, I think, was dinner. So what? how did you plan dinner? What was, what was dinner like in a normal day? Dinner could have been a so-called normal dinner, <laughs> but surrounding dinner would be pre-dinner and post-dinner. <laughs> yeah. um, it would be... What I was not telling myself that I was eating before dinner and after dinner. Yep. Um, so could you plan a dinner yourself? I could to a sort of minimum level. And it was, you know, I was big on spaghetti bolognese, but, you know, I would be eating a bowl of spaghetti that was enough to feed the Italian family. Right. Okay. So, <laughs> um, that's, yeah, it was, Wasn't helpful. Yeah. No, not helpful, but, yeah. Okay. Um so at, at what point did you start thinking, this has got to change? So definitely during that phase of working and eating, I knew something had to change. I didn't know it was me. I just knew something had to change. I'd read a lot of self-help kind of books, but they weren't related to food. They mm. were related to... Stuff. Yeah, just other things. I don't yeah. know. I was definitely looking for some sort of way to feel better because I knew that... Um, things had to change, but I didn't know what or how. My solution was to go to the other side of the world on a working holiday. Okay. <laughs> that right. I bailed out. And well, it's, it's very typical. Uh, geographicals are very typical. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how did that work out? Well, uh, it didn't work out very well in the long run. So I was away for just over 12 months. I changed my, to uh, smoking a lot of marijuana. So I was very anxious. And it's a bit of a chicken and the egg. I don't know if the anxiety came from the eating and knowing something's wrong or I was anxious and I ate. I don't know. But um, I started using marijuana as a way to function. So I was working overseas and functioning, but I needed more and more and more to to function and ultimately had a psychotic break and that brought me back home pretty quickly. But the food was on the side during that time. Yeah, because it, did it help you not need the food? Was that the, the impact? Yeah, it wasn't the intention. It wasn't why I was smoking it. But, yeah, yeah. it did temporarily um, change 
yeah, I didn't have the food while I was doing that. In fact, I got my dream job overseas. I was working in a bakery and I had access to everything oh. I wanted. It was fantastic. Convulsive <laughs> overeater's dream job. Yeah. 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 Yes, I often have alcoholics who've worked in pubs and things. And just, <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. So yeah. what did the breakdown do? Well, so it brought me back to square one, essentially. Um, I was back in the family home trying to get well. The focus was then definitely on getting well. And all the people around me were focused on helping me get well too. However, that first uh, 12 months, I put on 40 kilos. Wow. Yeah, because, you know, I never have touched marijuana again from that moment. But, of course. Yeah, you had to fill the gap. Straight to the yeah, food. Yeah yeah. yeah. yeah, so 40 kilos in a year and back where I started from. Well, listen, we might take another short break. So, here you are. Too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Idioma umebinyo, diaspora blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong and how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Ayan. We're excited to be launching on March 2nd. Connect with us by following the show on Instagram at 3cr.diasporablues. You're listening to Living Free Show on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. I'm talking with Louise, and we're talking about recovery from food addiction with the help of Overeaters Anonymous. Uh, so, Louise, I think we, we finished talking about um, coming back from overseas, um, getting back into life. So you were living at home. Mm-hmm. You were trying to get re-established a normal life. So what happened? Yeah, so I had been pretty sick, and uh, so doing started to access all the resources to help me with that. So I had plenty of therapy plenty of uh, doctors around, ended up uh, getting in contact with a dietitian because food, as I mentioned, putting on 40 kilos in a year, now it's obvious to everyone. Need help. (laughs) Yeah. So I went to this beautiful dietitian who gave me a food plan and that was okay for a little while. And genius that I am, I decided I would do my own diet during the time when I was seeing the dietitian. Oh, bless her. She stuck with me um, throughout all of this. And um, so I lost quite a bit of weight. And then I needed to have my gallbladder out. And I remember someone said to me, I were at a celebration and someone said, oh, yeah, fair, fat and 40. That's the classic, you know, needs <laughs> yeah. the gallbladder out. Well, I was very offended because I was only about 30. and um, You're fair. <laughs> I am fair and I was fat. So there you go. Um, so I had um, had the surgery, had my gallbladder out and put on the weight from that diet again straight away. And so then I truly started to wake up. There's something going on with me that's a problem. Yeah. So I 
once again crying to my my mum, I can't stop eating. And she said, perhaps you need to be with people like you, <laughs> which I did not appreciate at the time because <laughs> in my head... <laughs> You're normal. Uh, well, I, no, I kind of knew by then that I was not yeah. normal, yeah. but um, I had the idea that people were like me. I was like, I'm not sitting in a room with a bunch of sad, fat, lonely women crying. No, yeah. that that's what I thought that's, it would. That's she not it, yeah. Yeah, so I was pretty desperate. So I looked up in the phone book in those days. OA was, O-Readers Anonymous was mm. in the phone book along with other self-help programs and I called the number and I got an answering machine and I was so kind of stubborn. I'm like, nah, they didn't answer the phone. so They're not up to it. (laughs) Nah, that's right. So um, then I looked on the website. I found a meeting near me and so I went to my first meeting. So what was your expectation of the meeting? (laughs) My expectation was sad, fat, lonely women (laughs) sitting around crying. That's – no, genuinely, I laugh because I know that's so far from the truth. But genuinely – that's the only concept in my mind of what any sort of help group was. Mm. And, yes, I, that's what I thought it was going to be. So I went along to that. So that was community. to help you cope with your condition, not to help you change your condition, that, that sort of concept, that they're just going to be there commiserating with you. Possibly. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I knew. I think I knew that like, AA existed, right, but I didn't know – what a 12-step program was. No idea, no concept whatsoever. So, yeah, I think help meant commiseration and sitting around sharing sad stories, Yeah, which was not what I wanted. No. Yeah. So what actually happened? So I rocked up and I'm at the doorway and there was two men there. So that was the first surprise. And they said, are you here for the meeting? And I said... What meeting is it? Oh, God, I was so hoping that they would say any meeting other than Overeaters Anonymous, but they didn't. They said Overeaters Anonymous, and I was like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you picked me. (laughs) Yeah, I'm here. Uh, So I went in and we um, sat at this small little table and, and, you know, they knew because they spoke to me, uh, is this your first meeting? Yeah, it is. Okay, Mm. so they knew all that. We sat down at a little table these two fellas and myself, and no one else arrived for the meeting. So that blew my conception of all these sad, fat, lonely women sitting around. I was the only one. Uh, Yeah. And then I heard my story spoken for the first time in my whole life. By someone else. Yeah, Yeah. by someone else. That um, there's a – one of the men there had 20 years of living free from food obsession and he shared what he was like when he was obsessed and what his behaviour was like. And I I hadn't done everything exactly like him, but, boy, I heard my story through him and I just thought, I'm, I'm home. I, yeah. I get it. They get it. Wow. It's a thing. That's the first night, actually, that I understood this is a recognisable problem. Condition, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So did you feel like you fit it in then? It sounds like it. Well, I knew that I was where I needed to be. That that was clear, yeah. Yeah. So when did you start – when did your thinking start changing towards food? How long did it take? Uh, So um, I remember I shared I'd seen – 
by this time, by the time I came into OA, I'd been seeing that beautiful dietitian for two years, and she had given me a food plan which I had diligently tried and miserably not managed to follow. And it wasn't. It was probably two weeks after going to meetings that I heard another member in the room say about just writing out a plan of eating for the next day, just one day. And it was just ding, oh, I've got a plan of eating. Maybe I can follow that for one day. Huh. Now, it's exactly what the dietitian had been telling me for two years, but until I heard it from someone who knew what what life was like for me, yep. it it didn't register until that moment. And then the food changed pretty rapidly for me that right then I stopped eating for two or three people and started eating for one person and um but the waking up to the truth of all the things that I had thought uh just happened gradually and gently as I kept going back to meetings and hearing my story and sharing my story and so what's what's it like to share your story and get an insight into your behaviour? What does that feel like? Ah, oh, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is fantastic. In a room with people who understand, it's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Um, trying to share it with people who haven't got a clue no. what it's like, not no. fantastic. No, it's a very oh, it's sad, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's yeah. really challenging. But in a room where people absolutely can identify with what you're saying, ah, oh, it's fun. It's yeah. really fun because yeah. I wasn't alone. I was understood. It's, um, yeah, there is a definite sense of belonging. Yeah. There. So yeah. could you see your part, the things that you'd done to put yourself in this situation because of the condition? Was uh, that clear? Yeah, absolutely. Not at first it wasn't. Like, yeah. a, you know, I had to, that was a gradual awakening. I mean, I, I was sharing at a meeting one night about... Uh, how I had been with the food, and I shared about how I would tell the dietitian diligently and honestly what I ate breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, and then I laughed because I realized in sharing it out loud that I never told her what I ate in between all that stuff. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. <I'm> just meals focused. <laughs> But I had never told myself I was eating all that stuff in between. Total denial for years. And it wasn't until I was in the rooms that I started to wake up to the truth of what was going on. Yeah. Right. So looking back now, I think you've said you had 12 or 13 years of recovery. So how different is your life now? Uh, It's chalk and cheese, (laughs) as they say. Um, Very different. I just... I, I'm living now before I was surviving and now I'm living. Yep. So yeah. can you have more honest and open relationships because you're not trying to hide your food? Oh, definitely. I can share honestly and openly, but there's there's nothing in me that is frightened of being discovered. Like I'm just a, pretty yeah. much an open book, so yeah. Yeah. I don't have anything to hide. That makes all the difference. Yeah. Uh, if, if you tell somebody, then you've got nothing to hide. It's, yeah. It's when you don't tell them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, definitely it changes everything. There's The fear isn't there. The need to hold on to something secret, it's just not there. Mm. So how have you found doing the steps 
I love the steps. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I, um, they're not an intellectual process for me at all. I, I try to look at them intellectually and logically, and there's a bit of logic and intellect involved, but really for me they uh, it's a just-do-it kind of thing for me and the results are staggering, really. Visible, yeah. 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 I notice a difference for myself. Other people notice a difference. I'm actually a pleasure to be around most yeah. of the time. Now I think that I'm a pleasure to be around, but, yeah. Things have have changed for the better. Okay. And I guess your demeanour has obviously changed because before being unhappy with your situation, now you're not unhappy. So does that – have you got an exuberance for life? Yes. <laughs> I definitely – enthusiasm is <laughs> one yeah. of the things that I have. Um, love to share with anyone who's – interested i love to participate in things that are going on get involved with things i'm interested in and i can get involved in things that other people are interested in that's a big difference the focus is off me yeah and there's a lot more time that i can spend being focused on others and participating with yeah. them okay that's good if anybody's uh, interested in finding out a bit more about overeaters anonymous then you can go to their website at oa.org.au or you can email them on oa.melb at gmail.com. So would you like to say anything else about OA and about the fellowship or things that you think people will be interested in? I'd say some of the things that really served me in the journey because we're all individuals, which makes it the journey fun. But uh, look for the similarities. If you think you've got a problem with food and you want to come along to a meeting and listen you know there's no expectation no no rules so to speak but you know listen for where you might be the same as everyone else and don't worry about the things that are different just look for the things that are same and and know that if you've got a problem with food there's a place for you at OA yep that's good thank you well listen we might close there I'd like to thank Louise for sharing her Overeaters Anonymous recovery experience with us. Thank you again. Thanks, Bill. I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about living with the family disease of alcoholism and we'll be joined by some members of Allen and Family Groups. Um, Thanks for listening today and stay tuned now for Alternative, hosted by Robbie. And to take us out, we've got a song called uh, Here He Comes Again by the Killjoys.
Opportunity, momentary chance, not lost on. 